Amen. I'm turning to Hebrews chapter 10. I will begin reading at verse 1 as we consider a text before us. It gives us some great meaning, some great hope. A passage like this will also be a great welcome in certain times of your life. And so I hope on this Christmas message that we can appreciate more of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done in coming in the form of a man and becoming fully man for the rest of eternity and yet remaining fully God to be our one qualified mediator. I'm going to read through verse 10. Of course, the focus will probably be around verse 5, but uh, verses 5 through 8 is where we'll give our attention. Uh, So let's now hear the word of God as we read it together. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then they would would not have ceased to be offered. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. For the worshipers, once purified, would have no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come, and the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. A gracious Father, it is indeed with an amen. And how thankful we are for this gospel of what you have done, considering our utter inability, and yet coming into the darkness of this fallen place for which we are responsible, and then curing us of this dreaded disease and of your wrath upon us. And how thankful we are for thy great salvation, and pray that this day, and through the message and the preaching, that you would restore its joy to us, and pray that you would bless us the Spirit of God in the time of preaching, in the time of worship now that we give to this. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This time of the year, we consider this life-changing, historical, um, momentous occasion where God became flesh and dwelt among us, the incarnation of God. God became man, he dwelt in order, uh, among us in order to accomplish something. However, the incarnation doesn't make sense apart from the subsequent life and his death and his resurrection and ascension. Why would God do this? Why would he become a man among us and forever inhabit the body of a man. What was accomplished? And to gain a little more perspective in his incarnation, this Christmas message, I would like for us to look at this particular passage, not one that is 
normally noted to be a Christmas message or a passage this time of the year. But I would like to look at this and particularly focus on verse 5 because there we have Jesus informing us that the Father had prepared for Him a body. And that's what we're celebrating this time of the year. This is a welcome passage for those who are conscious of sin. At the heart of the conviction of sin is an aroused conscience. And if you are troubled in your conscience over sin, it's passages like this that become a joyous welcome. And apart from that, this passage will have little interest. The reason this passage is so welcome to a conscience that is so aroused is because the, that kind of conscience is demanding for some kind of compensation for sin. God has made us this way. But one of the things that is most attractive to an aggravated conscience is a repeated compensation. Ways to give God over and over again for the sins committed which the conscience is bothered. Because there appears at every committal of sin, there seems to be the capability of redoing something that satisfies for that sin. And an aroused conscience does tend to seek that kind of satisfaction. In redoing repeated certain kinds of activities. And that is why many people are attracted to the methods of the Roman Catholic Church when they sin and their conscience is aroused and they can go to confession and the priest would tell them to go say a hundred Hail Marys or do this for that sin or do that for this sin. And while God has created us with a conscience and even a desire to have that conscience quieted and appeased, He's revealed something to us here that would stand in contrary to that particular methodology. The reason this passage is critical to our understanding is to realize the importance of the incarnation and the birth of Jesus Christ. The sacrificial system of the Old Testament never made anyone perfect, and it could not satisfy their conscience. And that's the leading thought here in verse 1 of this passage. Because if that were true then their consciences would no longer plague them for their sins. And that's the leading thought and question behind verse 2. And the reason that the Old Testament sacrificial system didn't fix the problem is given to us in verse 4, because it is impossible that the blood of bulls and goats can make the worshiper complete. That he can make the worshiper conscience appeased and satisfied when he has sinned. And what we have in verses 5 through 10 is an amazing confirmation of that fact. What if we could ask Jesus personally, how does he think about this? Lord, what, what is your take 
on this problem of ours, of when we sin and our conscience is aroused and it, it smites us and, and then we, we need the satisfaction for it. And that's exactly what we have in verses 5 through 10. Verses 5 through 10 is a quote from Psalm 40 that we read just a moment ago, but it is not usually the way the New Testament inserts an Old Testament quotation. But rather here, the writer of Hebrews gives us an opportunity to hear from the Messiah himself regarding how he thinks and what he knows about this situation. The author of Psalm 40 is David, but there is so much of that psalm, if not almost its entirety, that does not personally apply to David, even though he wrote it in an experience of life under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. There are parts and large portions of that psalm that can only apply to the Messiah. And while the Old Testament sacrificial system can neither satisfy God, nor can it satisfy the human conscience, it does tell us and point to what does. And what I'd like to do in this message is look at two particular confirmations that our Lord revealed to us here in this passage that will be, Lord, what would you say about this? And he's going to confirm to us. In the first confirmation, he's going to give us two things that he recognizes that are true. First of all, in verse 5, the Lord, in confirming that the Old Testament sacrifices does not appease God nor the conscience, but only the Messiah himself can, he will confirm this fact in affirming something that he recognized in verse 5, and that is that sacrifices and offerings is not what God desires. Therefore, when he came into the world, Messiah said, sacrifice and offerings you did not desire. That very statement of Jesus himself, God with us, is telling us in no uncertain terms that the Old Testament cannot satisfy the wrath of God, neither can the sacrificial system appease the conscience which bothers us so when we sin. The various terms used throughout this entire passage points to all of the different various kinds of offerings that were offered in the Old Testament, the burnt offering, the sin offering, those daily offerings which were doubled on every Sabbath, and using those various terms of all of the various offerings of the Old Testament sacrificial system is really denoting the, the sacrificial system completely, the entirety of it in the Levitical system of sacrifice. It's the entire ceremonial law of which is being identified here. And in those things, the Messiah says God took no pleasure. Old Testament saints would have understood those words. Some did. Now God specifically instructed and authorized and commanded those very offerings and sacrifices. 
So how do we reconcile this with the statement that Messiah just made? Now, in order to do that well, we have to come at it, first of all, with the presupposition that in Scripture there is no contradiction. Because we only have truly one author of Scripture, and that is God Himself, through the Holy Spirit particularly, who had inspired particular authors to then pen the writing. But what is being said here is that the thing under consideration in this passage is what is the focus. And that is what makes the worshiper perfect in the presence of God. And that Old Testament system does not make a sinful worshiper perfect in the presence of God. That cannot happen in the Old Testament sacrificial system. And it's in that sense that the thinking of the blood of bulls and goats to make the worshiper perfect, that is not what God desired. That's not what God takes pleasure in, the blood of bulls and goats. Now, sacrifices certainly had their place. They were a shadow of the things to come. They were that which was projecting the very image of the thing that would come, but they were but a shadow. So verse 1 informs us that they do indeed testify of a real thing back there. Behind the shadow was the very thing that was casting the shadow, and it is that to which draws our attention beyond the shadow to the very thing. It is in that which is behind the shadow that God would be righteously and completely satisfied and your conscience would be completely perfected. Because a sinful person cannot stand in the presence of God and not be consumed. And when Messiah came into the world, he recognized this very fact that all of the sacrifices of blood and bulls and goats and the entire sacrificial system was not that which would appease God and satisfy the conscience of fallen man. That was his first recognition in this great confirmation. But the second recognition concerns himself. He recognized that God had prepared a body for him. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. This is Messiah speaking about God the Father preparing a body for God the Son. And this identifies with His own fleshy, earthy being and the origin of that body. And that's what we're focusing much of our attention on this time of the year when we think about God becoming flesh. And great is that mystery of godliness and that God became flesh and tabernacled among us and that it was God in the flesh. The origin of that body is that which we know of. The author of the writer of Galatians tells us in Galatians 4.4 that that body was born of a woman. So do not ever deny the full humanity of Jesus Christ. But the other side of that was the revelation given by 
the angel Gabriel to Mary when she asked, well, how can these things be? And he said that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And that holy thing which will be born of you will be called the Son of God. And in this there's great mystery. We can't explain that. So when will passages like this one before us become so very needed by Christians? Well, you will acutely be aware that this passage is greatly needed when Christians have a very great fall. And they fall into sin. And their conscience torments them. Or times when a believer finds that he is in the pit of despair and he cannot climb out and his conscience torments him. Or perhaps after some type of crushing chastisement, his conscience is so bothered Or even sometimes at the end of a believer's life, when he looks back over all of the years that he's had, and he's filled with so much regret for not having seized the opportunities that God had given him, and his conscience rises up and is aroused, and it's just needing satisfaction and quietness. It's in those occasions we need passages like this. Revealing why Jesus came, what He did, and and He is confirming to us here His own recognition of what He was doing for us in times like that. We need to hear His own confirmation about these things. He recognized that the Old Testament sacrificial system was not sufficient. But he recognized what he was coming to do was. The second confirmation that we have given in this passage points to his very submission to what the Father had given him to do in that very body when he says in verse 7, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. We have many other passages in Scripture that point to this very thing. Where we hear in the Gospels, in John chapter 5, when Jesus says, I did not come to do my own will, but the One who sent me. I came to do my Father's will. He tells the disciples when asked about food one time, He says, I have meat that you know not of. For my food is to... Do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. God had prepared a body for His Son to do the will of God for our perfection, for our completeness, to satisfy Him for His wrath and to appease that, but at the same time to 
to satisfy our screaming conscience because of sin. And you know, God the Father would not have sent the Son, and the Son would not have come if it were not the will of the Father that could do exactly that. There's great confidence in that. Jesus would have never come if the will of the Father could not have been accomplished in sending His Son to fix our greatest need. I'd like for us to compare this back to Psalm 40 because this is the psalm that is quoted here in this passage. But there are two things in that passage in Psalm 40 that the writer of Hebrews did not quote at least in the same way. The writer of the book of Hebrews had a different purpose in mind from Psalm 40. And so if you have your Bibles and would turn back, I would like to bring a couple of things to your attention which are of great consequence and great encouragement. And they will continue to be each time you come back to Psalm 40 as you reflect upon the fulfillment of that in Hebrews 10. The portion that is quoted in Hebrews is Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. In verse 6, it says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened, or dug. The word there, opened, is to mean, means to be hollowed out. My ears you have hollowed out. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. Now in verse 6, when you have this this phrase, my ears have been hollowed out, the psalmist is focusing on a particular part of the body, the ears. And they were dug out so deeply that his ears have been tuned in to hear God. At first, it appears that the writer of Hebrews misquotes or he leaves something out. But upon further study, we can see that in the New Testament, what the New Testament writer has done under the inspiration of the same author that authored Psalm 40. And what the writer of Hebrews is doing is understanding that the psalmist is taking one part of the body, the ear, and he speaks of the whole. The whole body that God prepared for the Son But in Psalm 40, it's only speaking about a part of that body, whereas the writer of Hebrews is expressing it more in its totality. So this is where a part can stand for the whole. It's a figure of speech that I believe that the New Testament writer is interpreting here and providing great insight to us. But it is significant that both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, when the Bible speaks of people obeying God, it starts with them hearing Him. This is a kind of figure in Scripture. If you will hear me, if you will hear me, meaning will you obey me? How will you respond to my word? Will you hear me? And the Messiah says, you have hollowed out my ears and I have come to do your will, O God. 
The second thing that is not recorded in Hebrews, because he has a different purpose in mind, but Psalm 40 is a great encouragement to us, and I think even an exhortation in verse 8 when he says, I delight to do your will, O God. And the word there that is mentioned in Psalm 40 that is not repeated in Hebrews is the word delight. Delight. A word of joy. A word of rejoicing. A word of of enthusiasm. And yet there's no contradictions with the Hebrew writer. The writers are just placing a different emphasis on Messiah's resolution in this regard. But if you were to ask Messiah, if you were to ask Jesus, Jesus, how did you feel about having come to do your Father's will and taking on a human body that was specifically prepared for sacrifice? How did you feel about that? How would, how would he answer? And that question is not inconsequential. See, sin is not just a matter of things that I do that are wrong. Sin is not just a matter of thoughts that I have are wrong. Sin is not just something that perhaps maybe I say that is wrong. But it is also wrong feelings toward God. And you've got to remember that this sacrifice, if it was going to fully satisfy God, if it was going to fully take care of our sin problem and fully satisfy our conscience, it can't just be an outward obedience. It can't be that just His body died. It had to be the entirety of the person fulfilling the will of God in joy. And if our Messiah was not delighted in that, that would be a sin. It is a sin not to be delighted in the will of God. Parents, we understand that a little bit better. When you ask your children or you command them to go do something and and you have this external obedience where they obey it in the outward, but you know that their heart is not with you and they're kind of sour in their attitude. You know that there's an attitude there. And we are not satisfied with the child's outward obedience alone as long as there is that attitude there. You know that as parents. But if we reluctantly follow the Lord's will, that's wrong. It's a sin. It is only right when the entirety of the person is given over to this very thing. So if you ask Messiah, how did you feel in coming into this very dark world in a body that was prepared for you to be sacrificed? He would answer, oh, I delight to do my Father's will. I delight in it. And that spirit, that power is available to you as Christians and is expected of you as Christians. 
Through Christ's sacrifice, He has enabled us to do just the same and to give our bodies as a living sacrifice unto God, which is our reasonable service. The author of Romans in chapter 12, after he begins to express all that God has done for us in Christ Jesus in light of all of our condemnation because of our sin, because of our rebellion, and what God has done quite in spite of all that, and given us all of the glory and promised us of all of these things that is yet to come, and yet has given us the Spirit today, he tells us all of that doctrine, and it begins the very practical section of Romans with those very words, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you give your bodies a living sacrifice unto God, which is acceptable. It's reasonable. If we are right toward God, our feelings are going to be that of delighting to do His will. But reluctance makes even that activity sinful. The Holy Spirit is here saying, be like Messiah in this. For the very power that is given to raise up Jesus from the dead has now been given unto you. Your body is a living sacrifice, and like Him, we should delight to do His will. The very next time you think about the implications of doing His will and you're tempted not to be so delighted in it. May the Spirit of God remind you and remind me of those in China who are rejoicing and singing the praise of God in prison this day, having been removed from their families, from their possessions, and having their corporate worship disturbed. But truly, their worship is not disturbed. You remind yourself of them the next time you are afraid of your affluence being taken away or the possessions that you own and all the blessings of the earthly things because they have little of the earthly, but they have much of the heavenly right now. And they are delighting to do His will. And His will right now for them is persecution. So Jesus has given us two confirmations regarding sin and our our conscience. And that first confirmation is that which he recognized two things. That the Old Testament sacrificial system could neither satisfy God, nor could it make the human conscience satisfied. And he also recognized that the Father had prepared a body for him to do that very thing. The second confirmation that he gives to us, as Jesus gave us here, is his utmost and complete submission to do the Father's will in that very body which was prepared for him. He not only did the actions of submission, he mentally submitted to the will of God, and he emotionally was right and righteous in saying that he was delighted to do it. He was utterly submitted deep down from his very heart of hearts all the way through to the surface. The New Testament concludes this Old Testament quote in verses 8 through 10. And he's going to give us an understanding of the conclusion here, even of Psalm 40, which he interprets with greater insight for us that we might know what is the conclusion of this matter. Do you realize what this means, he's saying? 
I want to tell you what that conclusion is, he says. And he goes on, back in Hebrews, and he says, previously saying, verse 8, sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did desire, nor had pleasure in them which are offered according to the law you did not desire. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. He was taking away the first. Meaning the entire sacrificial and ceremonial law of the Old Testament. When he said this, he was removing it in his body. The very body that was prepared for Jesus, the Messiah did away with the entirety of the Levitical sacrificial system. And in his coming as a man, in his birth and incarnation, in that body which was prepared for him, he was establishing the second. It was that second which would be the satisfaction of God. It would be that which would satisfy and completely quieten our conscience. In the body of Jesus the Messiah, He abolished the old system and He establishes the new. He was replacing the entire sacrificial system of the old with His body. And by the will of the Father in making the sacrificial body of our Lord Jesus Christ, there was a blessed consequence in that. And verse 10 gives us that blessed consequence. We have been sanctified. The word sanctification is a word that is used on the one hand to describe our state with God. Even when He addresses us, He addresses us as the saints or those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. You are sanctified. It also is a word that describes the process of the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in making us righteous and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ by applying the redemptive work of Jesus in His body to our lives. It is the will of God that you are sanctified through the body of Jesus Christ. It is the will of the Father that you be made entirely presentable before His presence through the body of Jesus Christ. And that is why Jesus is the exclusive means. There is no other way. And there is a finality to that which He says here, once for all. No repetitive once a year atonement. No other way. It is so exclusive that no one will get into heaven except through Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. It is in that body, in the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is still seated at the right hand of God the Father, which is still in bodily form, it is in that body that there is a complete and total satisfaction of God. And in that body there is a complete and total 
quieting and satisfaction of our conscience when they are aroused because of our sins. And that is why in this passage it can be so welcome in those times when we are so in despair of our own sins that we can look unto Christ and know that His body ever liveth to save us to the uttermost. And in Him we are complete. In Him we are accepted before God. And this is why Jesus came. And this is why He was born a little human baby boy. And this is why He had a real human body. And He grew up under the law, obeying it from the very heart, and He delighted to do the will of the Father. And this is why we celebrate this season. We celebrate this season in the birth, in the light of His complete life, death, resurrection, ascension, and even His ongoing living today in us and through us. We are saved and sanctified in the body of Jesus. So when we come to this table before us, let us remember that and let us find great confidence and joy in that this day. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we pray that this Christmas season would be better understood in the comprehensive plan of God and what you have done for us to give us a reason for the hope that lies within us. In the very gospel of Jesus Christ and in his incarnation, which continues on to this day, and as we come around this table even now, we pray that we might appreciate more of the great sacrifice that you did for us in the body. And in that sacrificial body, you now give us life. We come to the bread and we come to the wine, looking even behind these shadows to the reality that is in Christ himself. And as we partake, we partake of him. And We will taste the Lord and we will see that he is good. Lord, we pray for those who may be struggling with sin today and in their conscience Screaming at them, we pray that they might find resolution in the gospel of what Christ has done. They would place their faith confidently in Him and trust Him in a repentant life and a trusting soul as they give themselves to what Christ has given Himself for. We pray that You would encourage us in this welcoming passage in those dark times of life where we need it the most. Bring it back to our mind. Bring the blessed incarnation of this season to our life throughout the rest of our lives in those dark seasons. And may the joy of Christmas ever be present before us. In Jesus' name, amen.